Well, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Persuasion by the Pint. I'm Jonathan Taylor, along with Sean McCool. And judging from the titles that we have straight from Sean, I have a good idea what our episode's going to be about. We kind of talked about it on text a little bit. So, yeah, yeah. it's uh, the episode most likely to be banned from existence. Like, if we're going to get banned for an episode pulled down from the uh, powers that be, you know, whether it be in Cupertino or wherever Spotify is or wherever all these other places are, this would be the show. That would uh, be it. This would be Because we're going to be... We're going to be talking today about persuasion secrets of a very well-known person, mm-hmm. but not a very well-loved or liked person, at least not yeah. today. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I mean, that, that he's got a bad this, rap for good reason. Yeah. Yeah. For good reason. <laughs> and we want to make that clear up front. Yeah. Some of you might uh, have heard of this guy. His initials are A-H. He's a German dude from about the middle of the last century. So, yeah, we'll be talking about the persuasion secrets of Adolf Hitler today on the show. So, uh, yeah. On a, a little heavy. Note, my brother, every Valentine's Day, sends out a meme that says, because he's, he's in his mid-30s and he doesn't have a girlfriend. So, he says, he sends out a meme that says... <laughs> Even Hitler had a girlfriend. <laughs> you are literally worse than Hitler. <laughs> wow. So. Yeah, so we'll, we'll try to not. A little self-deprecating humor there. <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll try to keep this as light as we can. It's got, there is some really cool um, insights. Uh, again, we're tap, giving a tip of the hat to Matt Basak. And was it, which Matt? Is that the right Matt? Yep. Yeah. And That's Brother it, Mesmer. Basak. Um, so well, we're not going to go super like detail through the document cause it's crazy long, but there we'll pull out some of the stuff. But if you really want to get a feel for the history and the backstory and all that kind of stuff, uh, checking out, uh, this document from the forbidden knowledge, the forbidden knowledge archive Yes, would be right. really good. And, mm-hmm. uh, the title of this one is power and persuasion. Adolf one, because it's actually two parts. We're only going to go into part one today. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of content here. A lot of content. Yes. Um, So we're going to get into, um, oops, let's see, get into the, um, how Hitler was so persuasive. Yeah. Let's just sum it up like that. How he became so persuasive and how does so many of these cult leaders uh, become very persuasive or, or drawing so many followers and, and they're so influential, you know, yeah. And, and how can you do the same? <laughs> yes. How can we train up the next generation of dictators, Sean? Yeah, that's not what we're going for. We are, but there are some principles that you can definitely use in sales and marketing. Yeah. Um, as always, there's a ethical side and there's an unethical way to use these powers. Uh, Absolutely. So we're, we're encouraging yeah. the, Ethical use. Also, if you know these things, you're more likely to be able to spot them. Right. So no that doubt. is our service uh, here as we talk about this. But yeah, um, so we're not glorifying Hitler anyway. Let's just go on the record and say that. We're simply looking at the fact that the man got an entire nation to get behind some pretty crazy ideas. Mm-hmm. And yep. there's there are discernible reasons why he was able to do that. And that's what we're going to be talking about. 
Absolutely. And then how he did it. So, but before we get into that light subject, uh, let's talk about heavy beers. That's right. <laughs> heavy, heavy beers. Uh, I have, so I'm getting away from the, uh, I've been on my, um, Porter tangent lately. Okay. And my sweet baby Jesus and my sweet, yes. uh, all of those, I've been going through the series the last couple of weeks, but I got off onto a, um, one that caught my eye just from a graphic standpoint, you know, yes, that's always appealing to see craft, a can. Craft beer is now like wine. We buy it for the, the packaging. You know, exactly. We absolutely judge a, a can by its cover. That's right. And, and this one is very cool can cover. Look at this. Um, it is zombie ice. Nice. That is pretty cool. Yes. You got like a skull with blue eyes going on. Yep. Black can with like a silver skull, blue eyes. Um, yeah. Crafted with an unholy amount of citra hops, this undead pale ale heralds the zombie revolution after the dust has settled from the apocalypse, which wow. is right around the corner, I'm sure. A lot of citra hops, huh? I don't know. Hmm. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah, I don't that, know. I don't know what that, to expect. I actually was planning to, uh, this is how I think, Sean. Um, <laughs> I brought my uh, bourbon glass over today uh, because I was going to, I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to do a bourbon today. So I went by with every intention of getting a bourbon or maybe a mixed cocktail, like a, a old fashioned or something like that. And this one caught my eye. So, you know what? I was like, I'm going to try this and I'll just pour it in my bourbon glass. There you go. And if you need to throw it out, you can fill it with bourbon. Do you have bourbon in the office? You should. I I, I should. I don't. Oh, no. (laughs) Could be a long episode for you. Yep. All right. Well, I've got on my end, I've got one called Big Country. I don't know if I've had this or not, Mm -hmm. but it's called Big Country. It's from Martin House Brewing up in Fort Worth, Texas. It is a smoked pecan and vanilla stout. Oh, 10% wow. ABV. And uh, it's made in Texas, made in Texas by Texans. <laughs> There's a pretty can, very high Texans. Look at that, yeah. man. A lot of, a lot of artwork work on this can. So, yeah, it's called Big Country. Looks almost like, is it, like, is that a That's fancy awesome. bush can? Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah. Kind of like the Bush commercials. Like the, mm-hmm. And it is as black as my soul. Wow. That looks amazing. So that looks incredible. Smells good. Um, yeah. When I poured it, it actually has a little bit of like a, the head is had a little, I guess, vanilla kind of brownish look mm-hmm. to it instead of like a, you know, super light, even the, the head on it was dark. So anyway, all right, I'm ready to taste mine. You ready? All right. Cheers. Drinking beer out of a bourbon glass. That's hilarious. I like that. Drinking it actually pine. looks like a little bourbon if it didn't have the froth, you know? Yeah. Looks like pine salt. <laughs> actually, it's not that bad. There's, it's not as citrusy as I thought. That's a, that's good considering the way they described it. Yeah. Maybe citra hops are not what we think they are since we're not brewmasters. We're just drinkers. No, there, there is some citrus, but it's not what I expected. I was, yeah, well, that's good. I was expecting pine saw and I didn't get it. So that's a plus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
mine's pretty good. Why don't you go ahead and score yours? Uh, you know, not, not my cup of tea, um, normally, but, um, considering, uh, what I was expecting over what I'm getting, I yep. will give this a three, seven, three, seven, three, seven. It's pretty good for a pale ale on this show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's not an India pale ale though, right? It's just a pale ale. No, it's just a pale ale. Yeah. And, uh, obviously makes our, all the uh, difference. Our ratings and our judge, our judgment has a lot to do with, uh, you know, can art plays a little part of that, a small part of that at least. But definitely, so. it definitely plays into the purchase. Yeah, um, exactly. And the hope. Yep. For sure. Cause if these were lousy, I mean, this is nice can art. I can use it, you know, yeah. in some way. <laughs> get that, get that can pyramid growing in the bedroom. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> There's a there's a use for these, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, no, you go to you go to Jonathan's house. The mantle is just full of beer cans from the show. In the, in the man cave, yes, yeah, yeah. That would be funny, actually. All right, how about you? Um, so yeah, mine. I'm gonna give it. It's uh, it's it's pretty smooth. I mean, for ten percent, it's pretty smooth. I'm not right. getting. I don't taste the pecan in it at all. So I'm yeah. not sure where that comes from mm-hmm. or the smoke really. Right. Uh, definitely get some of the vanilla, get the stout. So I'm going to give it a three, five, three, five. It's good. It's just not interesting. Not anything like super special. Um, right. right. You know, so anyway, yeah, it's, it's good. Smooth. Um, typical, nice, heavy stout, vanilla yeah. stout. So it's good stuff. Good. All right, should we roll into the topic at hand today? Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's I don't know where Hitler. you want to start. Um, <laughs> there's so much. There was actually a lot of good stuff in this. These reports are just super in depth, really well written, mm-hmm. lots of footnotes and uh, history and all that kind of stuff. So really, really well done. The, the Forbidden Knowledge Archive, if you can get your hands on it. Yeah, I don't know where you find it, but. Um, I've had mine sitting in my digital file cabinet for years and I'm yeah. not sure where I got it. I couldn't tell you. Obviously it's by Matt Basak and brother Mesmer. So you mm-hmm. can maybe search for it like that. So, uh, so yeah, so they're calling this the SMC 33 mass persuasion formula. <laughs> because yeah, sounds very technical. Yeah. Because you know, the SMC 33, right. Creates curiosity Mm-hmm. Seems like it must mean something, and it does. Um, basically, it means the secret mind control, and then the thirty-three is from nineteen thirty-three when Hitler came became Chancellor of Germany. Yeah, so that's why they picked it. That's you know, that's kind of a tech technique we used back in the Agora days, or I did. Um, mm-hmm. you kind of just use initials of something to make it sound more important than it actually is. <laughs> oh, it absolutely! Works. Yeah, it does. It works. Absolutely. So where do you want to start? I know you got your notes there. You've been taking studious notes, um, getting ready to plant and launch your cult soon. From what I Well, let's, I'm going to start out with, um, so there's so much, there's so much to take away from it. So the, the, I think where I'll start, um, is given a foundation for, um, for the effectiveness that, um, or how effective, uh, you know, 
people like Hitler and yeah, I'm curious to see if you kind of highlighted some of the same stuff I did, you know, cause we're working on this yeah. independently throughout the week. Yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll be curious to see where you start and kind of where I had my notes starting. <clears throat> Interesting yeah. enough. He mentions, he references, uh, Charles Manson in here too. I mean, so this is not just, we're not just, you know, Hitler's one, one figure because he's the most well-known. I mean, right. hip, most people know who Charles Manson, Jim Jones, all but Hitler's these, crowd was so much bigger than any so much of these big, guys. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and I think that I want to start with seven great hidden persuaders. Cause this is maybe lays a foundation for, okay. um, you know, the effectiveness that in, in all of these, you can see where, you know, Hitler, um, you know, puts his message out. Yeah. And I definitely and gets, had that section. So mm -hmm. I think right before we go to that, I would like to, Yeah. you said the seven hidden persuaders, right? Yep. Okay. So yeah, I wanted, cause, uh, so I'll go back a little bit further and I'll lay a little bit different foundation here. Okay. Um, this quote stuck out to me. It says Hitler's success was not based on his extraordinary gifts alone. Mm -hmm. His genius was an intuitive sense of the mushiness, the character flaws, the weakness masquerading as morality that was in the hearts of the statesmen who stood in his path. Mm. It's a pretty bold statement. It is. Um, <clears throat> and there's a lot of truth to it. And, and nobody likes to talk about this stuff, but understanding the mushiness, the character flaws, the weaknesses masquerading as morality in an audience yeah. uh, definitely gives you an ability to hit them emotionally in a way that you can't do otherwise. And, th and this sure. leads directly into the seven things you were talking about. Yeah. Um, and I thought this was good right at the top of the report. Um, he wrote this and I think it's a good kind of warning for our listeners as well. So it says, therefore open your mind and let it lend us your ear, let go of your judgments. It's time to learn from Hitler. These lessons will not be theoretical lessons. Hitler proved their worth in the battlefields of politics, economics, war, and life. Hitler's lessons are for doers, for action takers. If you are such a one or wish to be, then join us. This journey is not for all. If it is for you, then welcome. Let us begin. <laughs> Let us begin. There's some, there's a lot of crossover. There's some takeaways too from, you know, we've mentioned Chidini, you yep. know, which is a, another great book for any new listeners out there. Um, Robert Chidini's six principles of persuasion. Uh, a lot yep. of those things are highlighted, um, um, in this. Yeah. So let's talk about the seven hidden persuaders. And I want to come back to, um, Hitler's formula that he used in his speeches. Mm -hmm. Cause once we reveal these, you'll see why the formula works so well, um, because of these seven, seven hidden persuaders. So let, let's jump into those. Okay. And uh, I think right before that, um, there was a line that just really stuck out to me too, right in, right in this section. Um, let's see. This is why it's so absolutely crucial that the seller or the guru or the future cult leader present themselves as having acquired the ultimate mystery solution, which we'll talk about a little bit more later. Nothing else will cut it. And then this was in bold. We are programmed for worship. We are trained in devotion. We are conditioned to surrender. Right. These are the deepest, darkest, baddest subconscious programs around. And they are all fueled by the seven hidden persuaders. 
So Jonathan, what are the seven hidden persuaders? Well, the first one is hope. Um, Everyone needs hope. Yes. Um, If you want to see a formula for unhappiness, for human disaster, just negate all seven hidden persuader needs. I have no hope, no power, no wrong. Nobody Nobody notices me. Nobody understands me and so on. So that's a great lead in to the first one, which is you have to have, or you have to give hope, Mm -hmm. um, to the individual. And what they were, and what they said in the report is like, these are not just like good ideas or principles or marketing tactics. These are visceral human needs, not just wants. These are things that we need to survive. Yeah. Uh, I think was it Victor Frankel, you know, his whole thing was like man's search for meaning and, and his stay in the concentration camps to take the flip side of the story. Yeah. Right. When, when prisoners lost hope, they died. Right. Even the, uh, in the Bible is like those, you know, where there's no hope the people perish, right? People perish. Yes. Um, and literally that means die. So hope is literally life or death. If people don't have hope, this is why people commit suicide. Right. Right. Cause they, they lose the last bit of hope that they have. Mm-hmm. So hope is super, super powerful and it doesn't have to be huge, but they do need some hope. Politicians are, I mean, the, the best politicians are, are masters at this. And, mm-hmm. um, well, I mean, that's, that was Obama's, Obama, right. Yeah. Hope and change. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, um, you can't get more direct. Like they didn't even hide it. They're like, <laughs> Yeah. You need hope. We got hope. Yep. We got hope right here. That's right. Um, so yeah, hope is a huge, huge, um, hidden persuader because it's a, it's one of the universal super needs that everybody has. Right. What's the next one? Next one is you need to feel, and this is, this is when you're, this is to the people that you're influencing. They need to feel that they're right. Mm. Right. Yes. Um, or left. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. Or left. Um, no, but they need, they need to know that they're, what they're doing or or what, you know, what they're, you know, we talked about, like, it's not your fault, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not your fault that you're in this situation. It's not your fault. Um, I think Hitler was a master at, um, you know, giving the people hope, but also letting them know that, um, you know, the situation that they were in, you know, financially from, you know, the first, um, world war and all of the treaty of Versailles and the, yeah, it, the destruction of Germany. Right. Yeah. So there was a reason it wasn't their fault. It was, it was brought on right by the scapegoats or the, the scapegoat, uh, or the enemies out there that were trying to put them down. And obviously one of the scapegoats were, uh, were the Jewish people, right? right? I mean, that was, that was one of the obvious scapegoats for him was right. to they present were, the, they were taking the job, the good jobs. They were taking, jobs. you know, yeah. you know, put them against the German people. But right. yeah, it's important to understand the context of when Hitler came around. <clears throat> I think if I remember correctly, reading the report here, it was, it's what, 16 years after Versailles, mm-hmm. they'd basically been in de- deflation Yep. deflationary period, you know, they're, they're looking at ruined buildings around them still. Yeah. 
uh, after and you can imagine after 16 years of just not getting ahead and just having yeah. coming out of a major world war that was fought on your soil. Mm-hmm. Like we can't even comprehend that here really in the yeah, U S cause we exactly. didn't, we didn't have to go through that. Right. Um, so they're at this low, low, low point as a society, mm-hmm. and, you know, nothing's working. They're not getting ahead. The rest of the world is kind of moved on. There's left with, all the trouble they're left with. Um, so they need hope and then they, they need to feel that they're right about something. Sure. Right. So he's going to, he's going to provide that. And then the third thing, what do people need? What do the people need? You need to have, you need to feel that you have power or control. Right. So when people feel like they're out of control Mm -hmm. or they are powerless, right. They are, they will grab onto anything that gives them a sense that they have power or control again. That's right. Um, and you see this a lot in, you know, mass crowds, which is obviously the way Hitler got his point across is through, through the crowd. Mm-hmm. And it's how all great politicians do it. And it's how all great gurus, you know, different size crowds, but you know, um, politicians seem to have one of the biggest stages. Right. Um, to, to be yeah, able to do this. Think of this statement. We need to take our country back, right? Mm-hmm. So what does that imply? That we need to wrestle the control back, right? Yeah. Away from yeah. The, the, the... Somebody the, else has control. We need to get it back. Gain it back. Absolutely. Right? Because people... So if, if we need to get back control, mm-hmm. then that means somebody else has it, which right. goes against our core need to be in control. Yeah. Absolutely. So then number four, uh, you need to be noticed by others, right? I mean, this is showing up everywhere in our our world, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is all social media is, is feeding this one need more than, more than any other social media is, you know, that thing to where people can hope, try to be seen. Problem is it's, you know, a lot of times it's the opposite. Like you feel less seen. Yeah. But the promise of social media is that you will be seen. Think of it. What is a news event that happened this week that brings this to mind, Sean? Can you think of something? I've got I something. Not, I did not watch the news at all this week. But <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. Okay. So I'll, I'll use a current event in the news this week with um, uh, um, the up in Ohio where the, um, the train derailment. Oh, okay. Yes, in East Palestine. Huh? Yeah. I heard about that late last week. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I, I know about this cause it's been so prevalent, uh, just for the last two weeks, it's just been top of mind. Yeah. Um, but obviously I think the news plays a huge part in, you know, obviously the yeah, and depending persuasion on which, aspect on which yeah. depending, depending on which way you're going. But exactly. one, th- one thing that, was obvious is that a lot of the people in that town now who knows how you know what the percentage is mm-hmm. I, always the news is going to portray like um a significant portion of the people but i can only imagine you know i feel for for residents of that area you know people like i i'm about to i was about to um sell my house and move to florida and now no one wants to buy in this area i mean think right. about that you know so yeah. that's that's a pretty uh you know stressful situation um yeah. and so what was pain i mean these people are painted as like no one was 
showing up. There, no one was taking responsibility. I think that I th- I'm pretty sure the um, the train company had is taken uh, a, a, you know responsibility, and they've they're working to clean up and and uh, fix the situation. But it was painted as you know we've been overlooked. No one cares about us. We're just a small town, yeah. and you know what happens. Uh, no, the government, you know, no federal aid or no, no one from the federal government shows up, which, uh, again, this is all manufactured in the news. And then what happens? Trump shows up, um, you know, as a, as a, some symbol of hope, you know, for the people who shows up at a McDonald's walking around and he's talking to people and, you know, acknowledging them. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what people want. And to be fair, it could have been any politician that would take the time to go in because, what made Hitler so successful besides putting the tactics and things that we're talking about into play was he walked into this environment that was rich with this type of, you know, mm-hmm. need for hope, just like East Palestine there, like in Ohio, it's, they felt hopeless, right? Cause their water has been contaminated or they think it has, sure. or they're not sure. Um, you know, they don't know if they're right or not right at this point. Um, they feel completely powerless and like no control over what happened because it's bigger than them. Right. And nobody was really paying attention, especially the first week. Like it it wasn't really even on the news and it kind of bubbled up through social media. Then the news, you know, the mainstream news started covering it. Yeah. Um, so you can imagine that first week they're like not being seen. So there's four needs right off the bat that are not being met. So anybody could have stepped into that situation. Yep. And, just acknowledged it yeah, and pointed a finger at the train company or pointed a finger at FEMA or whoever you want to make the, the scapegoat. And that person all of a sudden becomes smarter than them, you know, more able than them. And they, they start to give their power to that person, whoever sure. it is. Right. All right. So that's four of the five. So we had, you need hope. You need to feel that you're right. You need to feel that you have power control and you need to be noticed by others, at least one other person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is number five? You need to be understood, right? Understood by others. So that's a a nice follow up. Yeah. yeah, There's a difference between being noticed and understood. Sure. Yep. Like you can be noticed uh, because you're a streaker at a soccer match. (laughs) But may, not many people may understand you. Yeah. Right? Right. Um, that implies empathy. Like, you yes. have to have empathy. You know, that's that's a, something that some of the best persuaders out there, you know, empathy is a huge trait that yes. they have. And that's empathy is simply understanding the other pers- person's point of view. You know, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Yes, Master Covey. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Cubby say. Cubby say. That should, right. be, a, that should be a seven habits. Cubby say. <laughs> Bring that back. Still one of the best books that nobody talks about anymore. Absolutely. It's one crazy. of my all time favorites. I wish I would read that every year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it should be read every year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is ultimately the starting point of anybody understanding their perspective, understanding where they're coming from. Right. Yep. And this is crucial in sales and crucial in uh, political influence, crucial in everything where you're trying to get your point of view across. You're not going to get your point of view across until you understand their point of view. 
and understand their situation. Yep. And what they're looking for so that you can tie what you right. have to what they yeah. want. Exactly. Which goes back to, you know, Eugene Schwartz, when we talked about breakthrough advertising, you know, you've got to find that thread that ties your product to their ultimate desire. Yep. And you can always do it. It's not that hard right. to do. You just have yeah. to sit down and do it. Right. So what is number six then? Continuing on our list of seven hidden persuaders. Speaking of hidden, you need to know secrets that uh, others don't and that you shouldn't know. Yeah. Yeah. So this, uh, this to me is kind of, um, I thought this was interesting because to me it's, it's sort of a form of number three, which is to have power control, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because really the only reason we want to know secrets is because it gives us a sense of control. Right. 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 We have something on somebody. We, we have a layer of knowledge that could protect us from something. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, and I remember when I first, I've said this before, but like when, you know, when I first started writing at Agora, I remember my copy chief, he's like, he's like, isn't secrets overused? He's like, uh, no, just keep using it. <laughs> just keep using it, baby. Cause it keeps working. Um, and it does Absolutely. like, it's, it's like, and, and the other thing he said, it's always a secret to somebody. Right. Yeah. You know, if you've got a list of, you know, 5,000 people or 500,000 people like Agora does, um, on that list, there's people who that is a secret to them. Yeah. And you only need, you know, one to 5% of those people to, to buy that particular offer. Sure. Um, to, for it to be a success. Yeah. So yeah, secrets are really, really powerful. Um, I would have never thought of these as a need though, but I can see it now that it's kind of in this list, but right. at first I didn't think that would be like a, this biological need that we need to know secrets, but I guess it makes yeah. sense. Like if you were in a tribe, if we go, you know, everybody likes to compare to like, if we were in a tribe ancestral stuff, each member of the tribe like had their specialty, right? You had the, you had the hunting specialist, you had the, right. the shaman, you had the different people had different jobs within the tribe. So you, if you were like one of the hunters, you better know some hunting secrets that the other people don't know to Absolutely. make you valuable right. to keep mm -hmm. you around. We see this on shows like survivor, right? The one with a yep. secret, like yep. everybody knows they have a secret and all of a sudden they have power <clears throat> and control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So what is number seven? This one's interesting. You need to escape to have your free, free floating attention grounded. So you want to describe this one? <laughs> I mean, I read about it, but I, I just, uh, that was interesting. And I, and I kind of get it. Like, yeah, I mean, most of us, uh, I'll just show, I'll, I'll kind of summarize what they say. Most of us lack discipline as a result. Our attention, our focus is all over the place. So we are constantly getting stimulated and distracted by our environment. Yeah. So uh, in contrast, it can be, it can feel very comfortable and secure to have somebody perform the service for us of catching and collecting our attention and then focusing it, anchoring it on something sophisticated and well-formulated. Like? Um, how about television? Television <laughs> or how about, yeah, it's kind of, that's kind of dated. No one watches television anymore. Not live yeah. television. So whatever. <laughs> Everybody says that, but I don't know. There's still social media. How about that one? <laughs> I mean, 
I think it's funny when people say I don't watch TV, but then they 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 stream Netflix. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's I said same, live TV. I yeah, it's the live. same thing though. I mean, it's yeah. like it's you know it's all programming and stories and you know stuff designed exactly. to capture your attention and keep your right. attention. But yeah, I thought that was interesting that that we have this need to escape because we have all this diverted, scattered attention, and then in this like. I, when I first read that, I was like, I thought an escape was like to get away from any focus. Right. So That's it. Yeah. That was my thing is like, I always think of like movies as kind of escape away from any focus. I mean, that's why we are attracted to movies or television in the first place is like, but I see, away I, from that. but I can see that side of it too. Like it is an escape into something very specific, right? Yeah. A movie is, is, I mean, it, and sometimes people call it an escape, right? Right. Right. You know, get an escape to the theater, get us, you know, take an escape on a vacation or whatever, you know, you go to the beach for five days and you just <laughs> sit on the beach. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with nothing else going on. Um, right. So yeah, it's kind of a not focused, focused thing. Um, but we're not, it, it does kind of boil down into having our attention gathered into a little bit more narrow field from what, from what I understand. Yeah. Cool. So those are the seven hidden persuaders. Those are the those are the needs in in the average person, or all mm -hmm. people. Yep. Uh, some of them are fulfilled right now. Some of them aren't. Yep. But if you can tap into these, and the more you can tap into, the better. the The more you can have their attention, the more you can control what you want them to do, how you want them to act, what you want them to purchase, mm -hmm. uh, all these things. Um. And some people out there are probably thinking, oh, this sounds a lot like manipulation. And it kind of is. That's why we're talking about it. <laughs> um, but just like anything else. Because everybody listening to this has, I mean, everybody has fallen prey to all of these things we've talked about. I don't care yeah. what you say. We've yeah, all for been, sure. We've all been um, enticed by hope. We've all been enticed by uh secrets that no one else knows um insider secrets uh, well, i mean so let, let's step back from like hitler for a second yeah and let's talk about let's let's use something that you and i both have bought a lot of and that's apple products right we've sure. mentioned this yeah. before right but how do apple products fulfill these seven things right mm. so if we look yeah. at that hope well i hope this is better than you know, a better tool for me. And I hope that it makes me more productive. I hope that it's easier to use. I hope it doesn't break down as often. I hope it doesn't get viruses. Sure. Like it fulfills a lot of different hopes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. The need to feel that you're right. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to make the right choice when I buy a piece of equipment, right? Yeah. Pieces, you know, whether it's a computer or phone or whatever. And if I can buy into a, you know, a crowd, that is all saying this is great, then it makes me feel right because hey, other people are buying this. Other Absolutely. people are liking it. Right. It kind of goes back to the old Pac Mac versus PC commercials, right? It's like you're right if you're on the Apple side, you're wrong if you're on the PC side. Um, Absolutely. And then the the need to feel power and control, the need to be noticed. I mean, how many people like do we flip open our MacBook in the coffee shop, you know, back, yeah. especially back when they had the big glowing apple on the back. <laughs> now it's just a shiny sticker. 
Yeah. Uh, but back when it lit up, like that was like, that was a status symbol, right? Especially right. 10, 12 years ago before they got super popular and took mm -hmm. so much market share. Right. Um, so you wanted to be noticed and understood, right? Other Apple users understood you. Right. When you bought an Apple uh, computer. Um, secrets and escape. Like, I don't know exactly what those would be, but they're they're in there as well. Um, so. Well, the, the secrets would be... I think the secrets at the time, you know, Apple's market shares expanded, but if you go back to, you know, when I bought a Mac and the first time I ever bought a Mac, uh, a MacBook was back in, I can remember it was back in 2011. Yeah. And, you know, I can apply these to a lot of the things that you've just said, Sean, but yeah. if you say the like insider, like Mac, you know, I always thought like, okay, those Mac guys, they've got an upper edge. I mean, they've got an edge because they don't have, they don't deal with the kind of crap that I do with, with Microsoft, uh, yeah. you know, and this was talking, I mean, this was dealing with Vista and, you know, coming off of what a disaster that, you and know, virus that software that you had to get that you didn't seem to have to get for Mac. That's right. And so, All that kind of stuff. yeah. And so Mac, I mean, our Apple positioned themselves to have the insider's edge to not having these issues, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, just the um, the upper hand, so yep. to speak, and um, the advantage, the the escape away from, you know, all of the mundane issues that these peons that own a PC. Uh, yeah, the, the escape too is like um, <clears throat> even the design, right? You get mm -hmm. you get to feel grounded. Right. And the coolness, the design of Apple yeah. products. Right. Yeah. Especially, like you said, back then, mm -hmm. the world, those two worlds have come so much closer together now that there's not a lot of, not a lot of differences like there used to be. Sure. But uh, guess what? I mean, they have done a, a phenomenal job of oh, yeah. locking people into that, their ecosystem. Yeah, they're more profitable they got than them, ever. Like, yeah, exactly. They got them like 10, 15 years ago and. Yeah, they're you less... don't see too many people. I would love to see the the uh, statistics of people that go from, you know, have gone from Mac back to, um, yeah. you know, PC because yeah. I would say it's not it's not that big. I mean, yeah, it's not very large compared to the people that go from PC. Yeah, now they they probably wouldn't even say PC. They'd probably say <clears throat> if anybody's making that switch, they're going to Droid, you know, Android. Right, exactly. They're going to a. <clears throat> probably Samsung, you know, mm -hmm. Samsung's pushing the edge now as right. far as phones right. and even computers and yeah, they're creating an <clears throat> ecosystem with their tablets and watches very much like Apple did. But yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's interesting that as Apple has gotten less cool, mm -hmm. I don't know what this means, but it's, it's interesting that as they've gotten less cool and more and more popular as far as just market share. Yeah. But the fan base has actually gotten less devoted. They've actually gotten more profitable. Yeah. Yep. It seems like that shouldn't happen, but um, <laughs> like I said, they got so people so entrenched in the ecosystem that they right. they just can't leave. Almost they can't. Yeah, they're 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 locked in. Yeah, they're a prisoner. <laughs> Golden handcuffs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So similar to the the cult followers, you know, we we locked on early, Sean, as cult, as followers, and so um, and a lot of this, you know, you. Talk about going back to Chidini, you know, principles of influence are 
commitment and consistency. You know, we committed mm-hmm. a long time ago and we're going to stay in it. And we're going to follow right. them no matter how much they abuse us. Um, <laughs> how many dongles they make us buy we're, we're yeah we're like that you know that abused uh girlfriend um <laughs> or fiance that keeps coming back oh man that'd says, be a can you imagine that'd be a great campaign for samsung <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if it would work or not that could no. make it all that would not work it would get you uh in a lot of trouble probably yeah. this day and age but it it really is i mean you think about it how much has apple abused their their you know, they're loyal buyers over the years yeah. and we just keep taking it. And we, yeah. and then in the process like that girlfriend or fiance, we make excuses. Well, you know, they're working out, you know, ultimately they're looking, they're forward thinking, you know, yeah. they, they, they got rid of the USB because they're really forward thinking they're, you know, which, well, I mean, it goes back to this, the Steve jobs philosophy that people don't know what they want. You gotta, exactly. you gotta give it, right. you gotta give that, tell them what they want. That's they right. don't know what they want. Right. There's a lot of truth to that. Like yeah. nobody would have said, get rid of the headphone jack. That's, you know, yeah. <laughs> and yet it worked because yeah. now everybody likes wireless. I mean, I still like a wired headphone, but I'm, I'm old yeah. too. So yeah, absolutely. But for taking calls, I still use my, I mean, literally I still use my wired mm-hmm. headphone when I take calls because it's more secure and just not secure, right. but like doesn't drop, doesn't That's right. buzz yep. out and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah, it's cool. So it's, you know, that's, that's an example of how this, these things apply to just everyday products. Um, that last segment there where we just badmouth Apple is probably the, reason, the real reason we'll get banned from iTunes. Um, then they'll just blame it on Hitler. Even that'll though be, we're, that'll be their scapegoat. Even though we're still loyal customers, we can yeah. badmouth. I mean, we'll badmouth them until we're, um, yeah. we're probably in our grave and still yeah. buying their stuff. Still like, buy their stuff. Right. Um, so I wanted to back, let's, let's kind of go back a little bit. Cause I want to work around to Hitler's formula that he used uh-huh. in speeches. Yeah. yeah. Uh, cause I think it's really a good framework that you could use in copy. Okay. And, but, but, and now what, you know, going over the seven things we just went over, this was a, an excerpt from a 1943 CIA report about Hitler when they were trying to like, figure out who this guy was absolutely and it says hitler's unprecedented appeal the elevation of this man to the status of a demigod can be explained only on the hypothesis that he and his ideology have almost exactly met the needs longings and sentiments of the majority of germans so they're saying like yeah maybe hitler was like or not maybe hitler was maniacal he was you know, he took advantage of people, yeah. but it could not have happened if the needs and the longings and the sentiment of the Germans weren't already there. Sure. And I, I pulled up some of the videos they're linked to in this document. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them was like, um, a documentary that they had made and like the thousands of just screaming and adoring fans. These people were not being. You can tell by the video, these people are not being coerced to love right. this guy. Right. Like they actually saw him as hope, as a way out of what they've been going through and mm-hmm. all these things. Like it was real devotion. Sure. Because he was filling these needs. Yeah. He was offering a solution. He was offering a plan. Yeah. And that's what we, we talk about. Like, you know, 
the best marketers out there or the best um, persuaders are, they're just tapping in. They're not like changing your, I mean, persuasion is not changing your thinking. Good persuasion is tapping into the conversations you're already having, like yeah. the conversations that you're already uh, having in your head, the conversations you're having with the people that you know, you know, that's tapping into that to persuade you to um, their point of view. So uh, it's very difficult to change somebody's thinking if they're not on board in the first place, or if they're not having that conversation or not already thinking yeah. along those lines. Yeah, it's, um, it's very difficult to change people's minds. It's yeah. very easy to lead them where they are already going. Absolutely. Yep. And I think that's the mistake a lot of marketers make is they're, they're so bent on trying to change people's minds mm -hmm. instead of figuring out the need and funneling that need. And this is classic, you know, Eugene Schwartz breakthrough advertising, like first page of the book, like, you do not create desire. You channel desire right into your product, the right. existing desire into the product. Now, how does that core, how does that? So Sean, you just got through saying Steve Jobs said people don't know what they, they don't know what they want. Right. So yeah. we just got through saying Steve Jobs says people don't know what they want. Right. Right. And yet we're, we're on the flip side. We're saying we're tapping. You got to tap into that. Yeah, <laughs> because the, because the, I think what he's saying is people don't know the features or the things, the gadgets exactly. they right. want, they, but, yeah. but he does know that the, their ultimate desire, desire. is an right. easier life, a better life, a more hope. They don't know how to express that desire. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, yes. it's not a, yeah. And they may not even be aware of it consciously. Right. And I think it's what he's saying. Yeah. Um, and they, so they certainly don't know what actual like gadgets or um like they know the benefit they probably want and they mm -hmm. even if they don't they certainly know what they don't want right i mean ryan levesque talks about this in his book you know the ask method he's like get it i don't know if you've ever the the opening pair or the opening um chapter of that he's like imagine you're in a car with your friends and everybody's like where do you want to go from dinner Mm -hmm. Nobody gives you an answer, but if you start throwing stuff out, everybody knows what they don't want. That's right. Right. And you, it takes a while to get around to what people want, but everybody knows immediately when you say it, that they don't want well, that. Exactly. In the same, in the same sense, you know, going back to Steve Jobs, no one imagines a thousand songs in your pocket until right. you, ex until you explain that. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm like, wow, that's cool. Yeah. Um, I, but if you had I waited for the, for the world to request tell that, you yeah <laughs> they would have never thought like, of no it, right? we we just want to listen to an album yeah right you know because yeah. that's what we were used to right a cd yeah. uh cassette or a cd we were listening to one album at a time yeah so we're or we're, you know if you were really fancy like i got for christmas you know one time i got like the 50 cd changer remember that thing <laughs> giant okay. thing absolutely it yeah. sat on the stereo rack right right and that was the coolest thing ever. I mean, that was the closest thing to iTunes, right? You know, because you could just drop all 50 CDs in and it just sure. went forever. Yeah. Um, you know, that was like the first streaming, really. Because uh, mm -hmm. it could carry it could carry so many things. And there, I mean, I guess the there was a six disc version for mo for like, you know, some of the really nice cars had the six disc CD. 
yeah. like the Lexus 300 back in the early nineties had a six yeah. CD changer. That was like amazing. Cause you could put, mm-hmm. I mean, that'll get you halfway across the country. Yeah. Right. Without Absolutely. commercials, without anything. Right. Um, so yeah, but nobody put it together that they could have a thousand songs in the pocket. Like you just said. Right. So the ability to summarize that, the ability to sum that up. Yeah. So that people can visualize that. Um, mm-hmm. It's an, it's incredible. All right. So, so here's, um, so here's the, let's talk about Hitler's formula. We'll wrap up with this. Mm-hmm. So this is the formula that they kind of broke down, you know, all of this kind of taking the history and everything, all the different pieces and reading stuff about Hitler and all this stuff. Yeah. Here's the basic formula for his speeches that, that and he was his own speech writer for the most part. So these are the kind of the key points that he wanted in his speeches when he was going to go fire up the crowd. Number one, it's only five parts. Pretty simple. Yeah. It seems mm-hmm. like every, you know, a good five part sure. essay for school, college essay, right? Right. So number one is talk about something important that the group has in common. This brings the group together automatically first, then. So that means group unity occurs, right? So the first mm-hmm. thing you do um, there's also, you could break this down into three sections, affirmation, repetition, and contagion. Yeah. So this is kind of part of the affirmation part. So you want to talk about something they have in common. So if I was on the political circuit right now, I would talk about the cost of groceries and egg, you know, our basic, how expensive things have gotten in the grocery store, right? Because everybody has that in common you know, just inflation in general. I could talk about that and my crowd would instantly be unified around this pain, around this problem um, that's important to them because it affects their paycheck and everything else, right? How much money they have and all that. So that's just one example. There's endless number of examples you could use. So then number two, right? So you've got them now kind of together, right? They're like, yes, we're with you. Yes. We understand what you're saying. Yes. That makes sense. Now it's like, okay, number two is identify a threat, an enemy, a danger to that element that the group shares together. So let's say we're, you know, talking about groceries being expensive. Um, you know, your basic food needs are, are just going through the roof. Right. So you can then say, well, it's going to get worse because, the government's not doing anything about it. They're actually planning to, to raise your price, raise prices even more because they're going right. to devalue your currency, blah, 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 blah. Right. So you can really get them to get these, you can get your agit in, in using old copywriting language. You're agitating the pain. Sure. Right. So the problem agitate solution. Right. So this is the agitation stage where you're, You got them to agree that there's a problem. Now you're agitating that problem. And then number three is, and and in this report, they say, this is the most important part. And I'll just read it. It says, it is the one that most people miss. We alluded to it before by saying that power is for the taking, but not for the asking. We didn't really Mm -hmm. get into that section. Right. Um, Millionaire Dan Kennedy calls it the brass balls factor. Yeah. This step is to proclaim that you have access, you, the speaker, or the guru, the product owner, whatever, have access to a mysterious solution that is above and beyond anything they know or have heard of. Sure. 
as the channel or guru representative of, the, of this higher answer, you stand before them as the embodiment of the solution they seek to the problem just stirred up. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, and this is the part, and they say this in the, in this report, this is the part most people are not willing to do in their marketing. Mm, yeah. Because it feels a little gross and it feels a little <laughs> like, I don't want to be that guy. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> but if you look at all the successful gurus in any niche, whether it's Tony Robbins, whether it's a weight loss, somebody, you know, whether it's Julian Michaels for weight loss or somebody else for weight loss, whoever's popular right now, I don't know. Um, you know, they, they say, Hey, my method, my X, Y, Z method yeah, that I've taken 10 years of study, you know, I've spent thousands of dollars in research. Like this is it. Right. Finally figured it out, you know, and I have the solution. Yep. I'm going to share it with you. Absolutely. Yeah. All you have to do is go to this website. <laughs> and it sounds awful when we say it, but that this is yeah. actually how this stuff works. And I know our listeners, you know, they know that. Um, and you can't tell this to most people, like because they're asleep and they don't they don't want to know this stuff. Right. They actually want somebody to follow. They actually need somebody to follow. Um, where was it earlier? Yeah, this is from, um, there was a guy named Laban, L-E-B-O-N, that's mentioned in this report that they think Hitler got a lot of his ideas and as far mm -hmm. as like how to speak and all how to control crowds and things like that, not his ideas of like genocide and all that stuff. Um, and Laban said, men find their happiness in worship and obedience and are ready to lay down their lives for their idol. Yes. So they are looking for, and if you, you know, if you take a, um, for a leader, yeah. Yeah. If you take a, you know, for, if you're a Christian, you believe in creation, you believe that we're all, you know, created with this longing to worship something, obviously we're, to worship God. Well, if we're not worshiping God, we're looking for something else to fill that hole, right? Maybe we haven't found God yet. So we're looking for somebody we're else subst no, we, as we a have substitute, substitute for that. Right. Um, and that's what he's, he's talking about here. Like we're designed for worship. We're designed for obedience. We're designed for that following. And so when somebody shows up, uh, it's just natural for us to want to do that. Yeah. So that was number three. Like you have to be willing to take the power and be that person that steps forward with the golden chalice, the, the one solution, the one answer, uh, and all that. And then number four says, assuming the group accepts this claim, which it will, if it's delivered with a real confidence and conviction. And how many times have we said on the show, like certainty sells, like yeah. you, oh, you're yeah. in sales, I'm in sales. Like we know <clears throat> certainty more than anything, more than specs, more than anything else. Certainty is what sells. Yeah. Um, and then. Number five is you close strong by declaring that this mysterious but revolutionary answer from above will be a glorious triumph for the group and its source. Mm. So you basically say you future pace, you know, to use copywriting language, you would future pace. Look, now that you see what this is, now that I'm Imagine. offering it to you, yep. this is what will happen with the rest of your life. 
Yeah. Once we get rid of, and in, and in Hitler's words, like once we get rid of the Jews, there'll be more jobs. There'll be more of whatever. There'll be whatever. Because that was the scapegoat that they wanted to get That's rid right. of. And I'll say this one last thing. And then, well, first of all, do you have anything on that? I don't want to cut you off. No, it's, it's used in, I mean, I'm thinking everywhere this is used in politics and, you know, cult followings everywhere. So, I mean, politicians just all the time, you know, if we just get rid of, uh, like you said, if we, uh, you know, get rid of, you know, the board, if we, if we, um, put a border wall, and we can keep elite, you know, yeah, you know, the, the illegals from coming over. They can, we can keep them from taking our jobs. Well, you know, whatever. I mean, that's like, <laughs> that's their answer to fix everything. So, but the reality is, if you think about it, like anybody that's out in, in, in reality, which is talking to business owners out there and yep. huge manufacturers that they can't get people to come. I mean, they can't get people to come to work. They're having the biggest challenge of their lives, just getting people to come to work. Yeah. And you're saying that they're, these people are taking, you know, taking jobs. I mean, give yeah. me a break. I mean, that's not happening, but well, it's used all the time, you know, by politicians because it's going back to a scapegoat. If we just fix this, then it'll bring American jobs back. Well, you know, unemployment's at one of the lowest levels we've, we've yeah. had. I mean, it's, it's like, but we still can't find, you know, we still can't find workers, the right workers, you know, for those jobs. So, yep. And next it'll be AI and the robots that are taking the jobs. And Absolutely. Be, that'll Absolutely. be the enemy. Even though, there will be an, yeah, exactly. AI will be the, the big yeah. enemy. And you already see it in the news. If you listen to the news, they've been poking fun at AI this, this, uh, this past week or so. Yeah. Uh, from a bias standpoint, you know, yeah. the people that programmed, obviously the writers that, um, the right to programming for AI, you know, have a bias lean. Of course they do. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, that's going to happen. Anybody that creates something's going to have their own bias to that. Yeah. But, um, especially as we get into more knowledge, you know, based right. stuff instead of just machines. Right. 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 Um, so yeah, the last thing I wanted to cover that I thought was really interesting in this report, and we'll wrap with this. This is another thing most people are not willing to do and they don't take far enough. Yeah. So we've kind of mentioned that you need a scapegoat, right? You need something mm -hmm. to blame. Yeah. Here's the part that kind of, I hadn't even put this together myself. So when I read it, I was like, Ooh, that's, yeah. Ooh, I don't know. That's a little strong, but now that I've thought about it, I'm like, yeah, that, that seems right. Mm -hmm. um, it's not enough to have a scapegoat. You have to get rid of or kill the scapegoat. Yeah. Ooh. And that feels really like intense. Like yeah. if you think about it, right. But that's a literally, that's what Hitler did. Right. Mm -hmm. Now you may not have to do it quite as literally <laughs> as he did. Yeah. You don't have to kill the enemy, but you do have to make them go away. Right. And there's different ways you can do that. Um, but it's not enough to just cast the blame. You have to show that there's a way to remove the scapegoat from the problem. Yeah. But you don't want to remove and, and, it completely. Cause then right, you, well, that's, and they said that in the report too. It's like, you have to, it's always going to come back because people get right. lazy. They get, you know, sure. they forget. Right. Um, I heard, I don't remember what I was watching. I think it was, oh, I was listening to the Ed Milet show with Tim Tebow. 
uh, podcast. Mm. And they mentioned like uh, how many times the Israelites had to be reminded that they just came out of slavery as they were walking around. Right. And it's like, oh, absolutely. How many, I think Tim said in the show is like 22 times, you know, in, in like two chapters, they were reminded. Sure. Hey, uh, you're okay. We got you, <laughs> but, uh, and they just kept forgetting. So you have to remind people of the scapegoat and you have to remind that you have to continually re-kill, re-sacrifice the scapegoat over and over. Right. And it's, it is more, it is more figurative than literal. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's what the wall was to use your example. Right. It's like, um, and they can keep using it. Right. Well, they're digging around the wall. They're climbing over the wall. The wall's not quite finished. So they're still coming around. Like, that's right. So you can continue to use it. Mm -hmm. Um, until it just like, you know, it's like, but most people don't want to go. Most marketers, most leaders, they don't want to go there. So yeah. there's two big pieces that most people are not willing to do. One is to just absolutely take the power and the center stage. And then two is to kill the scapegoat. Those two mm -hmm. things, everything else is basic persuasion. Those two things are what make cult leaders, cult leaders and what make, sure. and what make really great marketers, even ethical what really makes them work because they find yeah. an ethical scapegoat. They find an ethical, you know, way to, to stand in front of the group. Mm -hmm. Um, and most people aren't doing willing to do that. Am I, um, you know, there's people like you think of any, um, you know, there's different groups, like some of these men's groups that have come up in the last mm -hmm. five, 10 years, right? Those leaders are, are taking that kind of role. Whether sure. it's wake up warrior, lions, not sheep, like those leaders are kind of, you know, the, they've got a clear enemy. They're willing to take the power. They're willing to be the example and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. those are good. Those are a couple of good examples too. Um, yeah, I saw some, uh, I watched a, uh, um, a 30, do you ever watch these 30 for 30 films? I, uh, man, it's been a while. I used to love those. Um, I mean, they're always a little depressing at the same time. <laughs> yeah, they're they are. Sad they're fascinating. To them. Yeah, they're good. They're, they're super stuff. well done. Yeah. And the E60, um, yeah. same thing. Like those, those are really good. I watched one recently. It reminds me of what you're talking about with uh, uh, Bill, Car Bill McCartney, which was, he used to be the former head coach of the University of Colorado back, I'd say like 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, but after he retired from coaching, um, he started a uh, he started a Christian organization. Oh, Promise just, Keepers. Promise right. Keepers. Yeah, absolutely. I right. was trying to think of that just for a second yeah. there, and I was like, "What is that?" <laughs> uh, but yeah, he he started that Promise Keepers. I mean, which they're not was that late nineties that I yeah, guess it was late up? mid mid to late nineties. I think it, yeah. yeah, mid to late nineties. Huge. They were, they were filling huge stadiums. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That was like the first like. Before these men's groups now, that was like the, you know, that was the men's thing for right. a good five or six years. Right. <clears throat> yeah, crazy. absolutely. And he, he built a huge following and then, and then it comes out that he had to confess to his wife of a, uh, an affair, you know, <laughs> which I mean, just obviously, you know, that hurt him from a standpoint mm -hmm. of, you know, he's the leader of this movement or right. was kind of a symbolic leader of that movement right at the time. But, um, 
which was all about integrity and keeping integrity. promises. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, it just goes to show, I mean, it's, it's kind of an interesting uh, dynamic of how people you, do put their, they put their reliance on, or they put their hope in individuals or they they're looking yeah, that's what's leader. crazy is because that entire movement with yeah. millions of people and men in it completely fell apart when the one leader, you know, fell apart. I think Jonathan froze on me. Oh, there we go. There you are. Yeah, yeah so was, he yeah, it was like it was shortly after that. It was just it was not the same and eventually okay, now you went, would think with million literally millions of men. Mm -hmm. right that somebody yeah. could have stepped up right but the nobody was willing to take that kind of lead because that's it's right. too much responsibility it's too much pressure for most people right. and they don't they don't want to do it right. and that's why you don't have a lot of movements mm -hmm. um and when they do like you know people become targets and things like that like it's because yeah. it's, it's it's a lot for a person to take on yeah so if you're gonna you know be the face of a brand or even if your your brand is going to be the face of a movement there's a lot involved in that and it's not That's to right. be taken lightly and it, and you're going to have to, as this report, you know, mentioned Dan Kennedy and the brass balls factor, like it's not easy if you're going to lead a group of people mm -mm. and fulfill their hopes and right. give them back control and power, or at least the feeling of it. Um, you're probably going to have to go way outside your comfort zone to make that happen. Yeah. And you're putting yourself at risk as the leader. I mean, yeah, most and you of the leaders be sure that the, you had no you got no uh, skeletons. skeletons. Yeah, um, you know we talked about Liver King. Uh, yeah, you know recently, you know that dude, um, he was on fire there. I mean, he was like a burning ember there for about a year. And uh, yeah, I mean, he went from zero to a million followers in like nine months. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. You know, like you know, people would. Well, obviously, people will do anything for that. Yeah. So. Yeah, so Chris, uh, looks like our buddy Chris O'Hearn got his uh, name working <laughs> on the Facebooks. Yeah. The step up factor. Can you live it? Yeah, that's a great, that's right. it's a great term, the step up yeah. factor, because that's, that's really what it is. If you're going to want to, if you truly want to lead a movement, uh, and isn't it interesting how many movement leaders, not to scare anybody out there, but how many of them get killed? <laughs> Just Martin <laughs> Luther King, JFK. Yeah. Um, Jesus, Hitler, yeah. like on right. both sides too. Right. If you're leading a movement, like you're definitely, um, you're definitely putting yourself out there, you know, and, and that's, that's a risk. Um, so you'll be in jail or dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not, <laughs> man. No, uh, but no, good point, Sean, because you really do have to be, you better be uh, dedicated, and, and that's what you see among the most charismatic um, influencers and the most charismatic leaders. Uh, and and Hitler, let's not kid ourselves. Hitler had was amazingly charismatic. Um, yeah, I mean, very, well, this report too said he trained for it though too. You know? Absolutely, he, he you know he he rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed too. Well, in, in very similar fashion was um, um, Charles Manson, who learned his persuasive techniques from the book, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. 
if yeah. you didn't know that. So <laughs> yeah. he, uh, when his first stint in prison, as I mentioned, you know, you, uh, I think he, I forgot what his first, um, his first stint in prison was for, but during that time he got a copy of, uh, how to win friends and influence people while he was in, uh, prison and used that and literally mastered. I mean, went through the book over and over and mastered the wow. art of influencing people, yeah. becoming amazing. their friends and understanding using empathy. Yeah. Uh, All those things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's a good, I mean, there's good examples as well. Right. I mean, and, um, you know, a lot of times the bad examples rise to the top because we love sensationalism. We love those sure. kind of things, but there are yeah. plenty of good examples, people doing good work, leading movements, um, that, that you could go out there and find, they may not be as big as moving an entire country necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, they're, they're out there. Um, yeah. you know, CrossFit was one for quite a while, you know, with what the yeah. CrossFit founder did sure. and, and that movement, Yep. um, you know, he, I mean, he made barbells mainstream almost, you know, mm-hmm. right. And before nobody, right. very few people had ever lifted a barbell and right. you know, done squats and power cleans and all these things. Now it's pretty common. Yeah. So, um, there's those types of things too. Um, yeah. obviously now he's even had to step down cause he did some crazy stuff, said some stupid yeah. things. Right. Right. Uh, cause I, I think it, at that, you can also get very disconnected at that level of leadership if you're not careful and you don't have yourself surrounded by good people that can call you out. Mm-hmm. then I think you can get in, that's where people get in trouble. Sure. Absolutely. So, um, this is probably the best comment we've ever gotten on the show. So <laughs> just say my favorite leaders are Sean McCool and Jonathan Taylor. Awesome. Thanks Chris. Let's go start a cult there, Sean. What are there we, we going to call it? We got one member anyway. <laughs> Your dues are coming up, Chris. We'll we'll send you a place to mail your check. <laughs> you know, one thing that I love about this um, this report and uh, that you what we've gone through is there's he's amazing. I mean, it's incredible footnotes. Yeah, throughout this thing that you can reference and go and you know, there's a whole lot of resources that you can uh, research yeah, you can, along the way. So yeah, you can go really deep in this if you want. Big time. To. Yeah. Um, like all of the books that were, uh, he pulled his research or a lot of this. Yeah. I mean, you can tell he put, um, he put a lot of research into this and just yeah. didn't write it off, off the cuff. I mean, judging by all the footnotes and, or his VAs did anyway. Ex- exactly. <laughs> yeah. I doubt he did. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, he paid somebody to research this probably. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, it's, let's see, what was it? Forbidden. Let's see if I could find a, Forbidden knowledge archives, archives at Basak. You know who Be- Matt Basak is? I don't think I remember a brother Mesmer. Yeah. I don't know if that's a like a real person or if that's a <laughs> that's just a name. <laughs> um yeah, and and I'll summarize that. There was one last point that I wanted to share, Sean, and it was being um, you have to be literally the, the people out there that are the most fanatic or absolutely fanatical about what they believe, no matter what. Yeah. And it's contagious. Anybody, if you're fanatical about whatever you believe, I don't care what it is. Yep. People will be attracted to that. If you're, if you're on the fence about what you believe, or if you're on the fence 
and you're kind of, you're halfway there. Yep. It's not, you're not going to gain a following. The, 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 the most charismatic leaders and the most influential people out there are fanatics. Yeah. When it comes to their belief to, they eat, drink, sleep it continually. Yeah. And you see this on social media. The people that blow up are the ones that take a hard stand on something. Even if you don't agree with it, you're attracted to their, their passion. You're attracted to their fanaticism about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and sometimes you just show up just to argue, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Cause you don't, you don't, you want to be the other side. Right. So, um, yeah. So yeah, it's, and that's, that's tough. I mean, that's, I know for me personally, that's very tough because I can see both sides of most arguments. Yeah. Um, I think part of that is just how is just how I'm wired. But the other part is like, as a copywriter, I've been able to research, you know, I've, I've taken projects on both sides of an argument, like in, you know, it's, you know, even back in high school, we were, you know, sometimes you do compare and contrast, you know, essays and you're, then you're asked to take the opposite side. You know, if you've yeah. ever been in like a debate right. class or anything right. like that. Um, so I think most people are trained to kind of look for the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, but our deepest desire is, I think, at the fringes. Well, then that's why we like going back to, to uh, the news outlets today. That's why they're yeah. no longer mainstream. They're, they're no longer in the middle. They're yeah. fringe. Well, that's why sides. we have telegram groups and Facebook groups that yeah. fulfill that fringe need, that certainty, because the leaders of those groups are certain about what they believe. That's right. Whereas the, you know, some of the other stuff you get kind of wishy-washy, the more mainstream it gets, the more wishy-washy it gets. Yeah. Cause they got to satisfy yeah. advertisers, viewers, all yep. kinds of people, you know? So, uh, so yeah, it's like, if you're going to, if you're going to build a movement, um, preferably one without killing anyone, <laughs> that's what we would suggest um you know but you still are going to have to take a strong stand and Absolutely. it's probably going to be a little bit uncomfortable yep and then you're also going to need a um a remedy or a solution that is you know quote from on high channeled you know divine divinely downloaded like that type of strength behind your idea mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why people that have these well-formulated programs that sound really cool do so well is because it, it sounds like it came from somewhere else, not from a human, right? Cause sure. they, they put so much time and effort and energy into this right. thing, um, that it just feels like it's bigger than a person could come up with, but yeah. it did, it's not, it's just what somebody came up with. Absolutely. So, so if you don't right. want to be those personalities, then you need to build a following off of talking or being associated with those personalities. Yeah. Because that's what Joe Rogan does, right? I mean, no one thinks that Joe Rogan's a fanatic, but he interviews fanatics. (laughs) Great point. So, so if you're, if you're like, you know what, I am not that kind of personality. Well, maybe you need to, maybe you need to look at your, be the reporter, you know, the investigator. Yeah, be the be the investigative guy on that side right. of things. Which I think Brennan Burchard talked about that what ten years ago in Experts yeah. Academy. It's like there's right. a couple different ways to be experts, and one is to be the interviewer. Sure, you know, one's to be the guru, one's to be the mm-hmm. interviewer. Um, yeah. So, because look at, I mean, Joe Rogan, he's got every fringe you can imagine, and uh, yeah, and, and, and that's what he is. He's he's 
the world's best interviewer or one of Absolutely. them, right? Right. And so he could go interview MMA people. He can go interview comics. Right. He can go interview yeah. these fringe guys about carnivore, about mushrooms, yeah. about whatever, right. because he's the interview guy basically right. at this point. Exactly. Um, yeah. But what he is passionate about is getting he to really them. wants to know. Yeah. Understanding. He, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so he, that is his passion is he wants mm -hmm. to, and I think people follow that mm -hmm. with him. Yeah. So the fun thing about that guy is he doesn't have to know everything. Yeah. <laughs> He's just asking the questions. Yep. <laughs> That's a good place to be. That's right. So, and even he got into controversy. So, I mean, if you Absolutely, have a yeah. crowd, you're well, going to yeah, get into you're gonna, Eventually you're going to get, yeah, but by association, you'll, you'll, you'll step into it. So, yeah. So, all right. Good stuff, man. Yeah. It's a good topic. And, uh, of, of course that, uh, you know, though, again, the report that we're referencing forbidden knowledge archive by Matt Basak, there's just so much, this stuff is so heavy. We spend, we could spend a number of episodes on it. So we'll see. It had about like three pages of notes, but the actual documents probably, what was it? A hundred, uh, 69 pages just yeah. for this part one. Right. So we barely yeah. scratched the surface. That's right. Uh, Dig it up if you can find it. It's yep. worth worth a read if you're really into this stuff. Which we are. That's why you mean that's why we do this. Yep. All right, guys. Well, you can find us uh, as always, persuasionbythepint.com. You can find us uh, over at your favorite podcast platforms, channels, Stitcher Radio, iHeart, Spotify, iTunes, you name it. And, uh, as always, thanks again.